Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 54 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by Hana One, which is an Ayurvedic herbal blend that helps your body to adapt to the stressors of daily life. Each and every single herb in this blend is directly imported from the highest quality fields in India. And if you haven't heard my conversation with the founder, then go to summitforwellness.com slash 26 to learn more. But it is the herbal blend that I like to take with me on all my backpacking trips, on all my hiking trips, and anytime I get outdoors. And I love that the company stands behind their high-quality herbal products, and they stand behind their ethical ways of harvesting these plants to use for their product. So if you want to get a jar for yourself, then go to summitforwellness.com slash H-A-N-A-H. Okay, in this episode, I have Christy Sloniker, who specializes in working with uh, the older population, especially for fitness and nutritional services. So I brought her on to talk with all of you who might be interacting with uh, either grandparents or um, older parents that are getting to that point in their life where their health is starting to suffer because of their age. So we dive into uh, different foods that we need to make sure the older population gets, the different nutrients that they get, and how to make sure that they are moving well and staying um, coordinated and balanced in their daily lives so that they don't run into any kind of falls or any kind of accidents while they are moving about. So let's dive right into my conversation with Christy Sloniker. Christy Sloniker is a nutritional therapy practitioner as well as a corrective exercise and senior fitness specialist. She is an avid hiker and a motorcycle enthusiast. Nutrition was a huge part of her healing story along with many of her family. She truly believes that the body is capable of anything we ask it to do if given the correct tools to do the job. We were meant not only to survive but to thrive late into life. Thank you for coming on to the show, Christy. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive into some of the the work that you do with the older population. But before we do that, I would love to hear a little bit about your background and what got you interested in nutrition and movement. And then how did you translate that into working with the older population? So my, my story kind of takes this really random tangent early in my decisions to make careers. I wasn't ever the person that thought, this is what I want to do for my whole life. Um, however, my mom used to tell me that I would just walk off with random older people when I was young and I just kind of had this like magnetic, magnetic draw to them. Um, but I, I started my career as a motorcycle mechanic, a Harley Davidson mechanic. And that kind of in a long drawn out way got me into really enjoying the outdoors and in really enjoying the outdoors, a lot of people who are into motorcycling don't necessarily enjoy 
like hiking and actual physical activity. I should say specifically the Harley Davidson community um, because I'm, I'm not as familiar with the other communities out there. So I started looking for a group of people that I could get outside with and specifically women. Um, and I found this company that um, I ended up eventually working for that did exactly that. They took women outside into the outdoors and gave them confidence and strength and um, taught them what they were capable of. And within all of that, the owner of that company kind of approached me one day and she says, I need to hire a trainer and I want that person to be you. So here, go to school. <laughs> so she gave me uh, the information for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. So I attended the National Academy of Sports Medicine uh, for my certified personal trainer certificate. And I fell in absolute love with it. And what it did was it satiated a hunger that I didn't know I had. And I just kind of ran with it. And even before my continuing education credits were becoming due, I had you know two years to finish so many credits. I was three months out of the gate having just gotten my personal training cert and went for more. I, I was thirsty, I was hungry for it. And so I ended up in um, this corrective exercise track and it's more of a slower, more intentional, more functional um, type of movement. So pain management and postural distortion and making the body move in the way that it's supposed to um, easily. And that was like, ice cream to a toddler for the first time. It was even more delicious and more exciting for me. And even in my training for motorcycle, I got bored with it at school. And so I ran with it because I had paid for it, you know, and just kept going. But it wasn't fulfilling anything. I, and I'm very, you know, intrinsically motivated. And so that, there was still something missing. So off I go on this, this personal training journey. And um, Within all of that, uh, my youngest sister, Emily, got very, very sick, and uh, she had no symptoms up until um, days before she had surgery, and we found out she had a brain tumor right on the top of her brainstem, and she went into emergency surgery, and um, my sister, my oldest sister and I, I have four sisters, my oldest sister and I had kind of been dabbling in nutrition uh, just she found out she had celiac disease, so she told me I needed to go gluten-free, and then I tried gluten-free and then got diagnosed with celiac disease, saw a ton of healing in my body and her body and my father and uh, one of my other sisters, and then we had my kid sister, Emily, and she was uh, tube-fed, which was um, great for us to control what she ate, but terrible for her because apparently you can still taste what you're being fed, so after we got her home from the hospital, um, we were able to control the things that she ate and her skin cleared up and her hair became beautiful and her nails were strong and we saw all this healing in her physical body but it wasn't quite enough and I felt like I was missing something there was something even in all the research that that I had done I still didn't know enough and that's when I found the Nutritional Therapy Association and went for my practitioner certificate there and it was that missing piece. And so now I have this training where I can look at the body from both pieces and go, okay, is this person's pain or is this person's 
inflammation caused strictly because they're not moving appropriately? Or is there a nutritional aspect to that? And so I kind of ran with it. And now I have this opportunity to look at the total body from both pieces and the marriage of nutritional therapy with, I like to call it, um, fitness therapy almost kind of, it just, they fit together. And I've seen such better results for my clients and also myself using both pieces rather than one individual from the other. Wow, there's so many unique components to your story. Now, I've I've heard a lot of people's backgrounds, but I've never had someone that went from uh, being a Harley Davidson mechanic to uh, coming into the health and wellness industry. So that's unique right there. But then to also go through that experience where you see someone uh, being fed via a feeding tube, and you can see how different nutrients and different foods going through the feeding tube was able to clear up their skin and change change their health. So all of that is such a unique background to bring you into at this field. Well, and I think it gave me a, a personal perspective of, you know, kind of what each of these pieces can do. And I got to see nutrition and um, occupational therapy while she was in the hospital and what that picture looked like. And uh, I would like to go for my full registered dietitian um, license someday, but right now I'm seeing the restrictions that I would have within that field, and they're doing good work there. Uh, but I got to see so much more good work in in just our personal experience with my sister, with nutrient dense whole foods in a really high-powered Vitamix <laughs> going through that tube in a really short amount of time. Yeah, that's that's super fascinating to see. And I love that you're combining nutrition with movement because that's something that I do in my own practice. And it does open up the puzzle of people a lot more because then you start looking at, is it a movement dysfunction? Is it a nutritional dysfunction? What can we do to help these people to feel better, to move better, and to uh, start loving life again. So with that, some at some point you transi- transitioned into working with the older population. So what made you interested in working with the older population? So with that company that kind of, um, I, I don't know the exact terminology, stole me from motorcycling and into fitness, um, I had the opportunity to work with many of the clients that she had already had, and many of them were older adults. Not all of them, but many of them were. And in particular, there was this one couple, and I will never forget them, and they were in their 80s, early 80s, and they had began hiking. So they were both scholars. Uh, One was a university professor, and I want to say the other worked in a library or somehow in the, the university also. They did not start hiking until their mid-late 60s, and then they were hooked. And so they started hiking in their mid-late 60s, and by the time I met them in their early 80s, they were training to hike into the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back out again on their own for their 82nd birthday. And I got to help them do that training. I got to assist them, and I remember um, she, she lovingly called me her Sherpa because I would stick with her on all of her hikes and we moved a little bit slower but we got to enjoy so much more of the hike because we were moving a little bit slower and um, it was kind of this slow and steady and that changed my perspective of 
aging doesn't have to be what society says it has to be. And then I really started exploring that. And, and I had younger clients in their 20s that I could just crush them in a workout and they would, you know, be hitting all these high intensity intervals and heavy weights. And they really enjoyed those workouts, but I didn't feel as fulfilled giving them those workouts as I did with my chronic shoulder injury client removing that pain and getting his shoulder movement back to where he could reach the top of his head with one of his hands that he couldn't for a year. And so I just found so much more enjoyment working with that and giving people the ability to live their life back. And, and I wouldn't say I was giving them the ability, I was giving them the tools to get their life back and to see how much more they were capable of uh, by having those tools. So I kind of came into this realization that this is an underserved population that so many people want to catch people while they're young to get them healthy before they get to that point, which is a great, great, you know, area of, of population to work with. However, the older adults have gotten forgotten because of it. Society has just decided that they're not capable, they're not worth it anymore. And so um, because of that, I've just really, I've seen a need and I've, I've kind of fallen into it and my heart sings at the highest level of of vibration that um, there's no going back for me. I just absolutely love this population. Yeah, I love hearing that those stories of uh, people from the older population going out and hiking and going on trips. Um, I can't remember her name, but there was a lady up here in Washington who at 78 years old climbed Mount Rainier, which is the largest mountain here in Washington, and it's a mountaineering mountain. Um, and she plans on doing it again at 90. So for people to be at those types of ages and still trekking along and getting outside, it's, it's great to see. Uh, before we start talking about the movement side of um, what you do with the older population. Let's start talking about some of the ways that you help them nutritionally. So what are um, some ways that you help the older population to nourish their bodies? So the biggest thing is not, not only is it, you know, discovering food intolerances, because that seems to be really hot in the nutrition world is discover the food intolerances, get rid of them. That that's a big piece of what I do but mostly it's discovering what they're deficient in. And I find so often the most common nutritional deficiencies, especially among older adults, is protein and water. And so simply getting them to eat enough protein and getting them to drink enough water, um, those, it seems all, that's all I preach. <laughs> protein and water, protein and water. And so by discovering what they're deficient in and including foods that are really high nutrient dense and specific to what their bodies are looking for, uh, I've seen great improvements in ability to walk upstairs and focus cognition, um, being able to track a conversation. And oftentimes it's something as simple as they're just not drinking enough water and they're not eating enough protein. So I think just discovering those has been the biggest impact for me and, and my population of clients. So why do you think they lack eating protein and drinking uh, enough water in their daily, daily routine? They're often, because society's told them they had to, they're often not moving enough. Um, so because they're not moving enough, they're often not drinking enough water. 
And also, one thing that can happen, especially with mineral deficiencies as part of the equation, not, not the whole equation, often it's hard for them to swallow and they choke on the water. So I like to be sneaky and add both in at the same time. So have them add a thickener using gelatin to their water to thicken up the water so it's easier for them to swallow. And I'm being sneaky because I'm also getting the protein at the same time. So it's kind of a two-for-one bang for my buck um, with those guys. But the protein side is because of the uh, recommendations that have been made over the last hundred years to reduce your animal intake and increase your vegetable intake. But often in America specifically, that reduction of animal intake translates into increase of processed food intake. And also with that, comes our societal need to be in a hurry all the time and um, tooth decay kind of plays a role and it's hard for some to chew and so they're not actually digesting a lot of the protein that they're eating because they're just their bodies just aren't processing it so I think those are the two biggest components they're not moving enough to drink enough it's hard to swallow it's hard to chew the tougher stuff and they're not digesting it well and so it's common for those two things to be deficient. So I know they're getting protein from the gelatin, but are you also adding in other uh, powder proteins or anything into their diet that's easier for them to digest or get into their system? It really depends on the client. So if the protein powder is easier for them because of their lifestyle or whatever that looks like, then we really try to hunt down one that's affordable for them and has a really good uh, nutrient profile. Uh, but often it's the inclusion of liquids because you can sneak bone broth into anything. Bone broth and gelatin, uh, collagen is another favorite of mine. I prefer to go more along that route than I do um, adding in protein powders. And then I also encourage higher protein, uh, like smarter foods. So if you're going to go for a meat, go for a chicken or a fish, something that has more protein per ounce than... Um, some of the other sources of so beef can be a little bit lower depending on the cut compared to chicken as far as the, the actual per serving size. So getting smart with the choices that they make and, um, and even shrimp. Shrimp is extremely high in protein and if I tell someone they can eat shrimp, they get so excited <laughs> because it's often considered a treat, right? So, so when you're mixing up that gelatinous water, um, for them to get some protein into their system. Do you also add in any kind of electrolytes or anything? Because you did mention that a lot of them are pretty mineral depleted. So is that one way that you would get minerals into their system as well? Yes, yeah. I often have them salt their water. And that, I think, is one of the biggest battles that I have, especially with the older population, because it's been uh, pretty much, they've been conditioned to believe that salt was bad for them. And so I help them to find locally a, um, a source of really good unadulterated salt like Himalayan pink or sea salt or, or Redmond's real salt, any of those things. And then I have them just add a pinch to their water and sometimes I have them add baking soda depending on um, what. Uh, and the baking soda, I don't have them add so much with the, the protein um, so much as away from it just to add a little, few more electrolytes. But the salt is really a big um, it's a battle, but I've seen it help help to slow down the water running through the system. So you made a really good point that 
when they grew up, they were told that sodium is bad for you. They were also told all these other type of foods are really bad for you. And they come from a generation of doing what you're told because they didn't have all the access to information like we have now. So because of that, that also makes them pretty stubborn when you try to change their ways. So how do you walk that line to be able to get um, get them to make these nutrition choices without getting a whole lot of pushback or be able to work through that pushback? A lot of it is education. And this population is so used to people assuming that they're just not going to understand so they don't try. And um, I am a huge fan of analogies. And uh, because of my mechanical background, especially the guys, I can relate the body to an engine and speak technical terms that they understand because it's what they grew up with. And so that kind of gives me some camaraderie and respect with them on that level. But it also translates the complexity of, of biology into understandable terms, things that they're used to dealing with. And so just by educating them of the process, then I'm able to get them to be a little more compliant with adding their water. So this is why you need your water, and this is what happens when you don't have your water. And oftentimes it's a matter of listing out, you know, here's all these symptoms that you're suffering from, and these are all things that can be improved by hydration, and here's the science behind why. So it's just explanation in understandable terms for them, and not and really taking the time to make sure that they understand it before moving on to the next topic. And when you're working with older population, are you adding foods into their diet instead of taking anything away? Often I start with adding. Yeah, it, it, I really like to take a good picture of what's happening first. What are they eating before adding or subtracting? If I walk in and find out they're eating nothing but Cheerios, then I'm going to be I'm not going to take their Cheerios away because it's an addiction and that's a whole different tangent. But adding in the foods before removing foods is always easier because they start to feel better a lot more quickly. And oftentimes they're not hungry for the foods that they shouldn't be eating because I'm asking them to eat three cups of squash a day. Also, as people get older, their taste buds start to change, and there's a lot of different flavors that people start to lose, and sweets being kind of the last flavor uh, for someone to lose. So do you work with the taste buds and where they're at with that as well? I haven't yet run into that being a significant issue in my practice. Um, I've talked about it as being a thing, but often I bring in, um, I'm more inclined to bring in slightly sweeter like tubers and squashes to start with and I find once they really get some really good nutrition on board then foods are beginning to taste better again and that comes with mineral balance and um, just overall reduction of the inflammation. So while I haven't addressed it specifically it's it's kind of been like this low-level murmur occasionally through my through my client base but it's not something to complain about after we've been working together for a few months. And what are some of the foods that contain the most bang for your buck that you like to try and get the older population to start eating? So my absolute, absolute number one favorite is bone broth. Um, that one, just a single ounce of it has insane amounts of vitamin A, C, K, B12, choline, and betaine. Um, the mineral content is through the roof and the amino pro 
acid profile is through the roof. And so it's a really easy way to get a lot of nutrition into a body that's generally speaking not hungry. They're just not hungry. And so it's easier for me to get them a liquid um, in and by adding some collagen in than it is for me to convince them to eat a food. Um, but otherwise, I'm a huge fan of tubers and squashes. So carrots, butternut squash, beets, um, those are some of my favorites. And um, they love it when I tell them they can eat butter because butter is really high in leucine and glutamic acid. And um, leucine is actually really important for eyesight. And so once I tell them that, then they're like, okay, I'll start putting butter on my squash. <laughs> and, uh, but liver, that one's hard. Getting people to eat liver, it's easier with the older population than it is the younger population because they remember their mom cooking it because during the, during the wars, um, it, was, it was advertised as being really good for you. And then after the troops all came home, then it wasn't as advertised as heavily. So um, it's easier to get them to eat the liver, which has 178% of your vitamin A daily need by the RDAs and 329% of vitamin B12 in just one ounce. So it's just a little over a tablespoon is all they really need to eat. And they're getting a significant amount of really important nutrients. So they're a little more open to adding in a little tiny portion of something than um, adding copious amounts of various foods. And then the population that you're working with, are they typically at some kind of home? And then do you have to work with the foods that they have available there? Or are they still able to uh, provide food and cook for themselves? Uh, it's a mix. I, I do some volunteering with uh, the less fortunate of the older adults. And then I, it's a little bit trickier for me to work with their diets. And it's easier to add stuff than it is to take away because often they're only being fed what they're given. Um, so that's where I get really sneaky with, okay, here's some bone broth. Here's a really good company. If you have access to this little freezer, then let's add some of that into your daily um, meals. And then um, with the liver, luckily there's desiccated liver, so I don't have to ask them to have to prepare it. So using supplementation and some pre-prepared foods, I'm able to have them add in a few of those things within their budget and really work with them there. Um, the kitchen isn't always as open to hearing me tell them that they need to change something for one of their, their um, residents, but the rest of the population I do work with are living on their own and are able to cook for themselves, so it's not as difficult for them to um, work around some dietary changes. Awesome. That's all really good dietary changes for uh, people in general to make as well. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit here because you also do movement-based and fitness-based stuff with the uh, elderly population. So can you talk about some of the uh, the main areas that you want to help improve amongst the older population so that they're able to you know, go out and go on a hike or walk through town or you know, just do normal daily activities? I would say flexibility and posture. And strength is a huge important piece of that, but oftentimes, um, as you know, it's, it's hard to strengthen a muscle that's short. It's not going to be able to work to its full capacity. So oftentimes I'm finding, and it's simply because they're not moving, they're not getting out, it, it's scary to fall down. And so I do a huge fall risk assessment and um, work a lot of cross-body exercises into the routines. And um, I work on flexibility with them. And I mean, hydration comes right into that flexibility piece. 
and then a lot of balance trading and that's kind of what gets them out and then once they get their posture so as if you're if you're hunched over because you're walking with an assistive device or because you have an old back injury and you're walking funny your your ability to know where your body is in space proprioception is off and so your balance is going to be off so by correcting posture imbalances getting people standing upright walking upright strengthening the trunk and working on that balance and that flexibility so that their muscles can get stronger um, helps them to be able to uh, go out with the kids. They're not as afraid that the toddler, their great-grandchild, is going to come running out of nowhere and knock them over. Or um, say the kids just got a puppy and they're excited and they're not going to be as afraid that that puppy's going to come out of nowhere and trip them and they'll be able to respond to those um, sudden disturbances. So is there stuff that the older population can do in like by themselves without someone standing right there just in case they fall? In the event that they do fall? No, just to uh, work on their movement and their balance. Yeah, preventing a fall. So a lot of that is core stabilization. One of my favorite exercises is transverse abdominus activation. And um, a really good friend of mine, she laughs because I tell her the muscle I want her to work. She goes, you mean my giggle muscles? So um, <laughs> <laughs> laughter, like going out and finding, and it sounds weird that I like to work laughter into my exercise routines, but laughter and finding those muscles, so really good hearty laugh and with your hand, uh, like pressing into your gut is going to help you find that muscle and holding that contraction for as long as you can several times a day is going to help strengthen the trunk and that's something you can do laying, sitting, standing, while you're walking. Um, nobody's going to know you're doing it so that's really easily worked into a routine or into your daily life. And then also cross-body exercises so sitting or standing depending on your balance ability um, taking your right hand and touching it to your left knee and then your left ankle and then your left hip and then your left ear and then doing the opposite and um, trying those things standing and walking down a hallway touching the right hand to the left wall and your left hand to the right wall um, twisting motions while sitting and focusing on using the right side to activate or touch the left side somehow an object on the left side um, those are some of the things that are really good for balance training spatial awareness um, and also I'm a fan of standing on pillows I've, I go through so many pillows it's not even funny so you don't have to buy a piece of equipment you can throw your pillow on the floor hold onto the counter and stand on this pillow and play with one foot or both feet rock towards the front towards the back a little bit and so long as you're holding on to something you're not going to fall and it's going to help train you gently on uneven surface. I like the pillow trick. That's a homemade bozu. I love it. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. And I encourage them to make obstacle courses, too, using pillows. Throw them on the floor in random places and walk around them or over them. Um, and so long as somebody doesn't have a walking assistive device and their balance is pretty good to start with, then they wouldn't need somebody home with them. But if they've got somebody that can come over and kind of hold their hand while they walk around this stuff, um, can be uh, really good for balance and spatial awareness. Yeah, some of the stuff that I do in a safe environment is sprinkle different objects on the ground and help them to navigate through the minefield. And then also, sometimes I'll use um, 
uh, like speed ladders and have them do some exercises through there as well. That way they start working on their coordination and they can um, work on that spatial awareness as well. So those are a couple other things that I like to do. I don't know if you've done uh, tried the speed ladder or anything like that, but I like the pillow idea a lot. Yeah, I when I when I worked in the studio, I had access to a speed ladder and I, ha I had access to more tools and because um, I kind of have to work within the space I'm in, which is why I love going to their homes because I get to teach them exercises within their environment. So it's realistic and it's tangible for them. Um, but I have got to use the speed ladder and that was one of my favorite tools. And then do you help them with um, being able to get up off the ground as well, like different strategies in case they do fall to be able to get back up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I work in, in kind of a a uh, less direct way working on all the core muscles and the glute muscles and the hip muscles and the flexibility of those joints. And then over time as they're ready, depending on where they are in their uh, physical ability, getting them onto the floor, off of the floor. Sometimes I'll bring in, I have a massage table and sometimes I'll bring in the table so that way they can lay down up off the floor and we can work on those core muscles and, and uh, slowly strengthen them so that they can get down and sit and play Legos with the kiddos. Awesome. Those are great strategies. Okay, so final question here for you. If you had the ability to change the morning routines for all of the people in the older population, what would you make sure they did every single morning to nourish themselves and to be able to... Uh, uh, be able to move more efficiently and to uh, improve their balance? I would say first thing in the morning, a four to eight ounce cup of bone broth, just right out of the gate, four to eight ounces of bone broth. Um, starts them with good nutrition, minerals, and some hydration, uh, followed by a walk outside in the sunshine. Because outside you're going to have that uneven terrain to deal with and um, getting the sunlight is often not something people who are immobile do very often um, and uh, it's going to encourage them to get moving. And it's just a really nice way to start the day. Mornings that I get to go for a walk first thing, my day seems to just go way better. I agree. It's a great way to just start your day. Get some fresh air. Go, go see the sights a little bit. I love just going for a nice little walk. Yeah, it's, it's um, on days that I don't get to, I, I definitely miss it. That's for sure. Okay, so people can find you at redirectwellness.com. You're also on Facebook and Instagram. And you have a PDF that people can use um, that, that supplies five different steps to active aging. So can you talk about your PDF a little bit? Yeah, so it's, it's things that people can apply now, uh, no matter the age, no matter their capability, and um, it kind of covers the broad spectrum, spectrum of both nutrition and fitness, and um, they're, they're applicable at any space that you're in, and um, even going through, like if you're still working or not working or you have kids or whatever your situation, these things, once you put them in place, they will, if you're younger, they will continue to help you throughout into your later years. And if you're already an older adult, they can help you to improve your situation because we can, we can always get better. We, we can't deny the actual physiological decline that happens with aging, but we can slow it 
and we can feel better in our situation rather than sticking there. So, so these, these five things can really help even kids, but they're applicable, they're easy, um, and can be fun depending on how you apply them. Awesome. And we'll have links in the show notes to your website and also to where people can get the PDF. Uh, and that will be at summitforwellness.com slash 54. Uh, Christy, do you have any anything else that you would like to add about working with an older population? It's I would say that working with specifically the older population has benefited me, I think, more than I've benefited them and that I get to have this excitement for going into my later years. And I'm, I'm not all that old now. I'm only in my 30s, but I'm excited for 50. I'm excited for 60 and I'm excited for 80 because we have the opportunity, if we're given the tools, to bust through stereotypes and expectations of somebody that doesn't know us and um, impress ourselves. And that's really the, the important part that I've really got to see this picture into how exciting life can become if given the opportunity. Awesome, Christy. Now, you you tend to go to uh, people's houses or where they're located to be able to help them out. And we also understand that this podcast probably isn't going to be heard by the older population, and it will more likely be heard by family members. So if you are a family member of someone that can benefit from uh, nutrition or movement, uh, then please take a look at uh, Christy at redirectwellness.com and get in touch with her and figure out a way that she can come out to help uh, your family members. So thank you so much, Christy, for coming onto the show. Thanks, Brian. I love it. There you have it, folks. There are definitely nutritional needs that uh, people need as they get older, and that is some of the things that we talked about with Christy, such as protein and good hydration. And one of the biggest fears that most older people have is the fear of falling. So there are definitely strategies you can use to help them to improve their balance and coordination so that they feel more comfortable as they are moving and also to be able to avoid different obstacles in the room. So Christy is a really good source to connect with if you do have questions about uh, how to help the older population to get through these nutritional and fitness needs. Okay, we have some really awesome podcasts coming up because we are going to dive into the world of the microbiome of the body and not just with the gut, which is what we hear about all the time. Next week, we are going to have Dr. Harvey Fishman onto the show to talk about the microbiome of the eye. That is correct. There is uh, bacteria on the eye that is protective, and there's also some that they're finding that's inside the eye as well. So it's super interesting to talk with him about the microbiome in that region. And then we have some other podcasts coming up with some other guests to talk about uh, the microbiome throughout other parts of the body as well. So stay on the lookout for those. If you enjoyed this episode, then please go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews do make a difference in the podcasting world to help us get in front of more people. We would love to be able to help as many people as we can. And so if you help us out just briefly by giving us a rating and review, that will allow us to reach a bigger and larger audience. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes, it is super easy to leave that rating and review.
keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next week.